What's up, Ace 12? How you guys doing tonight? Yes. Man, I am so pumped to be here, and I hope that you're pumped to be here as well. Let me give you a little bit of an update. If you were here last week at the Back to School Bash, you know how amazing last week was. And uh, just to give you a heads up, there were 134 students who came forward and put blue thumbprints on the cross representing that they wanted to give their life to Christ. And man, what an amazing Amazing testimony that is, but but listen, we're a part of we're a part of the bigger church. We're part of Twelve Stone Church. We're also part of uh, the church globally. And let me tell you what God did at Twelve Stone last week, along among the other student ministries that are represented. Last week at Twelve Stone Church in our student ministries, we had two thousand eight hundred and nineteen students that attended, and five hundred and ninety nine students who said yes to Jesus. Man, that that is un. Unbelievable. And we, what's so cool about that is, is that we get to be a part of this. That God is moving here. God is moving in the hearts and lives of people. And the truth is, is that our role as a high school ministry isn't for us to point to ourselves. It isn't to be like, oh man, Derek's awesome or the music's awesome. But it is, it is to turn all of our attention and point upwards and say, no, Jesus is awesome. And that's why we're here. That's why we're having these conversations. And the truth is, is that you may be here trying to discover what that is and what that means for you in your life. And we want you to know this. You don't have to agree with us to be with us. We want you to come here and be here. We want you to listen. We want you to ask questions. We want you to grow. We want you to seek God because we know that he loves you and that he wants to encounter you in your life. And we would just ask you to keep asking questions, keep seeking, and keep coming. And so that's our challenge, our encouragement to you guys as a part of H12 and high school ministry here. Now this week, we start a new series and it is called Flipped. It's called Flipped. And uh, I'm excited about this series. And let me give you a little bit of the premise for this series. What we know is, is that in our culture, the, the kingdom of the world, what I talked about last week, that in our culture, there is sort of this idea, this attitude towards students, this attitude towards the next generation. Oftentimes the generations above us can look down on us which we feel that, we sense that, oh, they're just kids. Oh, you wait until you have a kid one day. You'll be so much different then. And, and so we're looked down upon like, like we're not as intelligent as our adult counterparts. And, and we can feel that sometimes, oftentimes as well, is that people make excuses, that adults make excuses for us. Our parents do that. I remember my parents did this to me. My parents did this to my brother. I remember one night, my brother, we were, he was like 16 years old, just got his license. Um, he, was, he passed a guy at like 1 o'clock in the morning in a curve, going around a curve. And uh, just so happened when he was passing, a cop was coming around the corner. He ran the cop off the road into the woods. And my brother, like every smart teenager would do, he did not pull his car over. And he kept driving as fast as he could, running from the cop. What an idiot. And he ran up into the woods to try to hide his truck and the cop caught him. He put his gun on him, all this kind of stuff. And uh, my brother was trying to run because he had alcohol in the car and he was 16 years old and he got busted and got in a lot of trouble for that. And, and I, remember the, I remember the conversation around that. And, and my parents, my dad kind of made a little bit of an excuse for him. Yeah, man, I remember when I was 16 and a cop tried to pull me over. I ran from him as well. That's just dumb decisions you make as kids. And the truth is, is that, is that we don't need people 
people to make excuses for us, that we actually have to take responsibility for ourselves, that we don't need people to look down upon us. We don't need people to set the bar low and give us low expectations because I don't think that God gives us low expectations. See, I think that God thinks more of us than our parents do, that the world does, that the culture does. I think God truly believes that your life can make a significant difference in this world and into the lives of the people that are around you. In fact, God used many, many, many young people all throughout the Bible, all throughout Scripture, all throughout history, we see this. God used many, many, and in fact, I would even say in some instances, God even preferred to use young people because it was so unexpected to the culture of the people of their day for someone so young to do something so significant. Let me give you an example. David, the greatest king in Israel's history. Maybe you've heard the story, maybe you haven't, but David, as a young boy, killed a, uh, uh, the fiercest fighter in the land, a Philistine fighter by the name of Goliath, who was nine foot tall. Now, this is what we know about David. When that happened, David was 15 years old. God used David at 15 years old to kill Goliath. What about, what about Mary? the mother of Jesus. What most scholars agree on is that Mary was somewhere between 13 and 14 years old when she had Jesus. See, during this day, it was common. Most women got married from the ages of 13 to 15 years old. Most men from the ages of 16 to 18 years old. And so Mary, most likely, was 13 to 14 years old, betrothed to Joseph, headed towards marriage, when she became pregnant with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Literally, the first five years of Jesus' life, he was being raised by a mother who was a teenager. God chose a teenager to raise his son. That's pretty amazing. King Josiah in the Old Testament, one king after another had been wicked and done evil in the sight of the Lord, and King Josiah, eight years old, becomes king. Now, he didn't do this at eight years old, but in his kingship, he ended up turning the people back to God, ended up destroying all the idols in the land and telling the people they needed to serve the one true God, even the disciples. Jesus selected and chose teenagers to be who he poured into and invested in, who would actually lead the movement of the church and the reason why we're here today. Teenagers. In fact, we know that of the 12 disciples, only one of them could have been 20 years old and older. And how we know that is because Jesus is having a conversation about, about uh, uh, the paying the temple tax. And he tells Peter to go catch a fish and, and, and uh, in the fish's mouth will be a drachma coin, which would be enough money to pay for the temple tax for Jesus and Peter. And he says, because the children, the other disciples do not need to pay it. You had to be 20 years old in order to pay the temple tax. So we know that the other disciples were still teenagers. So we see consistently and constantly throughout scripture that God used teenagers, God used young people to do amazing, incredible, God-sized things in the world. And that's why we're doing this series. I love what, what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 12, which is going to kind of be the scripture that frames this entire, this entire uh, conversation that we're going to have over this flip series for the next five weeks. And this is what he says. He says this, Do not let anyone... Don't let anyone look down on you 
because you are young. But set an example for believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. I love his first challenge here to Timothy. Timothy was a pupil, a disciple of Paul. When he found him, uh, Timothy was was a young man, and Paul discipled him, poured his life into him. And now Timothy, young Timothy, is now a pastor of one of the churches, and he's not getting a lot of respect from the other people that are in the church because he's so young. And Paul's encouraging him, saying, hey, listen, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. Don't buy into what the culture is saying. Even though they may have low expectations for you, don't buy that and give yourself low expectations because you will rise to those expectations. And if you're low, you'll only rise to the lid of the the highest expectation that you have. And this is the challenge that he's laying out here for young Timothy, telling him, hey man, listen, like, like don't buy in to this lie. And the truth is, is that I talk to teenagers, I meet with them every week in my office, one-on-one, all the time. This is what God's called me to. This is what I love. I love talking with you guys. I love meeting with you. I love getting in your life. I love helping you walk through different things in your life. And here's one of the common things I hear from teenagers, students, just like yourself all the time. Maybe you've heard this before. Maybe you've said this before. I know I have said this before. Now is my time to live it up. I'm young. Now's my time to live it up. Hey, man, when I get older, then I will take responsibility. When I get older, that's when I will, you know, I will do things the right way. But, dude, I don't want to waste my younger years. Now's my time to live it up. And what we do by saying that is we've literally bought the lie of the culture that says, hey, man, you're just young. You can't do anything significant anyway, so you might as well just live it up. And we're going to make excuses for you because you're just kids. That's all you are. This is what kids do. Kids just make mistakes. And we're going to set the bar really low for you. And then one day when you become an adult, then, then you can start taking responsibility. And let me tell you what that's doing in our nation. We have 20-somethings that have no clue how to take responsibility for anything in their life. And then we have marriages and people get married and they have no idea how to take responsibility and have an expectation for what their life could look like because their entire life, all they've done is make excuses and all they've done is set the bar so low. And I want to challenge you with the scripture, with what the Bible teaches us. It says, don't settle for that. Paul would challenge you, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. You can make a major difference in someone's life. You can make a major difference in this world. Believe that you can because God believes that you can and he put you here on this earth for a reason for you to do that very thing. And what I love about this passage is is that he says, listen, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but listen, this is how you do that. You have to be an example. Be an example in these five areas of your life, hence the next five weeks we're gonna go through. Speech, conduct, Love, faith, and purity. And tonight, I want us to hone in. I want us to focus in on the first one and jump in. And uh, and we're going to talk about what it means to be an example in speech. That if I don't want people to look down at me because I'm young, then what does it mean to be an example in my speech? And if you're taking notes, uh, you can open your Bibles to James chapter 3. And you can see there that the bottom line is that words matter. Words matter. Your words matter. The content of your conversations matters to God. Your words matter. 
And listen, this is important. I hope you don't miss this, that our words aren't just the things that come out of our mouth, but they're also the things that we write, and they're also the things that we text and tweet, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That we type, write, speak, all of that includes the words that we speak in our life. And our words matter. And why do our words matter? The reason our words matter is because our words are powerful. I want you to notice what it says in James chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 2. It says this. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect and able to keep their whole body in check. Then he goes on he says, When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Verse 5. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boast. Consider a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. Listen to what it says about the tongue. It corrupts the whole body, and sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. I mean, that's some pretty heavy words. If you're taking notes, the first thing is your words are powerful. He uses three examples, three analogies to show us the power of our tongue. Hey, man, your tongue is this small thing, it says in verse 5, but that small little thing makes great boast. And one of the examples he uses is he says that, that they put bits in the horse's mouth to steer the entire animal. Now, I grew up on a farm. I've had horses uh, most of my life. I worked on a ranch for two years when I was in college. And, uh, and basically, um, this is a horse's bridle. And this goes around the horse, around the horse, you've probably seen this on a horse's face and around his neck before, and this little metal piece right here in the middle actually goes into the mouth of the horse. This is called the bit. And what he says here is, is he says that a bit can steer a massive animal. Now, the truth is, is that, is that uh, this little thing right here, going into the mouth of a horse, you can steer a full-grown horse 1,200 pounds anywhere you want him to go. I worked at this, uh, this youth camp. We had a ranch, and, um, and we had this horse named Cherokee. And Cherokee was blind. This big, massive male horse, and he was blind. And so he couldn't see where he was going. And so we would have to direct him. He would trust us because we could just run him into a tree. Now, we were nice people. We didn't do that. And, uh, and so when we would ride Cherokee, we knew that we could. And, and here's the deal. As long as that bit was in Cherokee's mouth, wherever you wanted him to go, he would go. But when you did not have the bridle on and the bit out of his mouth, you could not get Cherokee to do anything you wanted him to do. I remember one specific day, we went to get all the horses out of the pasture, and we ran them up into our round pen where we tie them up and get them ready to put uh, for a horse ride, and, and Cherokee kind of made his way up there, and, and, and he's like 50 yards from the opening of the gate, and we were trying to get him in with everything we could, and he would not come in. We could not steer him, and here's the truth. The animal is too powerful. A horse is way too powerful for us to move him or budge him, so I got this idea. We had one of those like big whips in our thing. And so I was like, I'm just going to crack the whip behind it and scare him and he will just run right into the, into the thing, right? Like that's genius, right? Thank you. I know I'm a genius. 
And so, and so I take the whip and I go over behind, I go over behind Cherokee. And of course he doesn't know I'm there because he can't see anything. And uh, so I get behind Cherokee and I take the whip and I go, Spat! And I pop the whip, and when I do, Cherokee's like, he goes crazy, and he takes off running as fast as he can, and he's headed right for the entrance of the gate, and then at the last minute, he veers to the left and runs straight into the fence. The fence flies apart. He goes up in the air, lands on his back, runs in through the foot. He died. It was awful. I'm just kidding. He didn't die. He did not die. He did not die. Y'all like, that is the worst story ever. He didn't die. All the girls are like, oh, God. Just making sure you're awake. <laughs> I've lost you. It's over. And uh, Cherokee was completely all right through the experience or ordeal. Um, and, he, and he did not know who cracked the whip behind him, so he could never be mad at me. But anyways, and so... And so, but that is what a bit does in a horse's mouth. It's small, but it can steer this massive animal. It can control a massive animal. Another thing that he says here, it's like a small rudder on a ship. I don't know if you've ever noticed a rudder on a massive ship, but, but they're very small. But yet the rudder is so important to the ship. It steers it everywhere you want to go. I remember when I was in high school, I was like 15 years old, and my parents had this small lake house, and, and we had this uh, like uh, we had like this like old skin antique and my brother, my best friend, we would like get in the boat and we'd go out driving around. And at dusk, right at sunset, at, at, right before it would get dark, all the ducks would come and they would land on the middle of the lake and they would just hang out in the middle of the lake. And so we got this idea, let's try to hit the ducks with the boat. Crazy. That's what teenage guys think. You know what I'm saying? So we would drive. <laughs> you're like, you're like, man, this is is this being recorded? Yes, it is. All right, here we go. And so I'm going to be arrested. And so we're driving across the lake, and we're, we're like, nyeh, 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 you know what I'm saying? And the ducks will start flying. And the crazy thing was the ducks would not fly up high. They would just stay low. And so we would just, like, gain on them, gain on them, gain on them. And then, pfft, you know what I'm saying? It was awesome. Anyways, not awesome. And so we're doing this. We're doing this out there on the lake, and we're chasing these three ducks, and we're gaining on them, we're gaining on them, we're gaining on them. And the ducks bank off to the left. And when they do, my brother banks off to the left, and, and the steering cable in the boat breaks, and we just go vroom, vroom, vroom. And we're, like, flying all over the place. My friend's video, videotaping the whole thing. The camera's flying everywhere. All these, like, cuss words are flying out everywhere. It's before I was a Christian. And uh, we thought we were going to die. And like, it was awful. And, uh, and we got stuck. And so now here it is like almost dark, almost dark. And we're stuck in the middle of the lake. And we turn the boat on, hit the gas, and the boat just does this right here in the water. It just goes in circles. And we are stuck out in the middle of the lake. We're yelling. We're waving our arms for other boats off in the distance. And finally, after like 45 minutes, it's almost dark. A boat just so happens, gets close enough that hears us, and he tows us in. But listen, our boat was powerful. It could go 45 miles an hour. I mean, it was an awesome boat. But once the rudder, I mean, the rudder's like this big on the boat. Once the rudder was broke, once the steering cable broke that attached the rudder to the steering and we could use it no longer, the boat was useless. You couldn't do anything with it. Again, another analogy of what he uses to say, hey, listen, this is like your tongue is a part of your body. It doesn't matter how strong you think you are. It doesn't matter what you think you can accomplish. It doesn't matter your talent. It doesn't matter what you can do. That if you can't get control of your tongue, you're in trouble. Or consider, he says, a small spark that makes a forest fire. I was working at a youth camp, that same youth camp with Cherokee, and we were making a paintball course, and we had this little, this little like, 
like gully and we were burning wood and like, you know, brush and stuff in this gully, you know, as we were kind of clearing out the land and we get finished clearing it out, burning all this stuff. And, and, and there was just a few small embers left. It was the end of the day. And so we took some igloo coolers full of water. We dumped it on the fire on the embers that were left and, and we left and we're eating dinner about to eat dinner. And I mean, I'm telling you, this is like 20 minutes later. And we look up in the woods and smoke is just billowing out of the woods. And we're like, oh no. And we take off running through the woods. And by the time we get into the woods, already like a half an acre of land is on fire. Trees are like this high up, you know, like just on fire, like everything's on fire in the woods. We are freaking out. We're like running. We've got water hoses going, but the fire's spreading so fast and it's so hot we couldn't get close enough to it. So we're trying to dig stuff out. And eventually we're like, dude, we can't stop this. So we called the fire department. They had to bring all this equipment out, all this stuff out. We ended up burning seven acres of land before they got it put out. And our camp got a big burning ticket and it was a bad day and all that kind of stuff. But here's the deal. It was just one spark. And one spark can cause a lot of damage. You go out, look out west right now. They were, I was reading a thing the other day that was talking about how, how it is over $10 million a day right now. $10 million a day just to fight the fires that are going on out west right now. And the truth is, this is how our tongue is. Your tongue is like a small spark. You don't think it's a big deal? When we left that fire, we didn't think it was a big deal. But it causes so much damage in your life. In fact, he says, he says in uh, verse 6 there, it can corrupt the whole person. In other words, you can have it all together. But if you don't have control of your tongue, you're going to be in trouble. The second, thing I wanna, the second point I want to make to you is this. The first is your words of power. The second one is, is this. Cursing and praise should not come from the same lips. I have this conversation all the time with students. Man, what about cursing? Is cursing wrong? Is it, you know, is it, is it a wrong thing? Man, hey, they're just words. We've already talked about that, that things aren't just words. But I just thought I would do this just to show you, show you what, how Webster defines cursing. I think we got it up here on the screen. This is Webster's definition of, of cursing. To swear at. Use profane, blasphemous, or obscene language against to bring evil or injury on and to afflict. I want you to notice those words, against and afflict. To bring injury on. When we think about the content of our conversation, is that something that we would think would be appropriate to be saying? If it means to bring injury on, to afflict, to bring, to bring damage to someone, then obviously we should think about those things before we say it. And listen to what he says here, and uh, listen to what the scripture tells us here in, uh, in verse 10. Actually, I'm going to start in verse 9. He says this, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Verses 10, Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. Listen to what he says. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. This should not be. I'm going to tell you, and I'll be honest with you, man, the hardest thing that I ever had to quit when I became a Christian was cussing. It was the hardest thing. And the reason was because I'd done it my whole life, ever since I was a kid. It was a part of my everyday language. And this is what I know. I know it's a struggle for you, too. 
It was a struggle for most of my friends. It was a struggle for me after I became a Christian. And oftentimes people slip up around me in the hallway out here all the time. Somebody did it last week. And we're friends with many of you on social media, and we see the things that are posted all the time on there. So I know this is a struggle. You're like, oh, crap. <laughs> Pastor knows. <laughs> I'm deleting him tonight. <laughs> uh, but hey, listen, but that's accountability. You know what's interesting? We don't mind the things we say and the things we write until the wrong person that we don't want to hear and know about it hears it, and then we're embarrassed. We have no problem saying that to our friend and putting our friend down or someone who's not our friend or whatever and talking that smack. And this is what I know. What I know is, is that you can get control of your tongue. You know how I know? Because almost every other word that came out of my mouth was a cuss word all throughout middle school and high school. But you know who's never heard me cuss before? My grandma. You know what I'm saying? Dude, if I cussed in front of my grandma, she would straight beat me down. You know what I mean? Like, she'd be like, what'd you say? You know what I mean? It would be over. You know what I mean? Like, like it's like, dude, you'll be at school all day. It's like, blah, 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 blah. You know, you cut every other word. You get home, you know, and, and, and uh, you get around mom and dad. You ain't going to be dropping the F-bomb at the dinner table. You may have it lunch at school, but you ain't going to do that at the dinner table. You may do it, but you won't do it more than once. You know what I'm saying? Some of you are like, well, my mom does. No, I'm, I'm sorry. Sorry for you. But you get the point. The point is, is that, man, we should have control over our tongue. We should have control over the things that we say. I talk to guys all the time, godly guys. We talk about this all the time. And they say, man, there's nothing more unattractive than a girl with a potty mouth. Retweet. <laughs> It's just true. Nothing more unattractive. I want to challenge you. I want you to think about that, those, those conversations. Don't make excuses. Oh, they're just words. They don't matter. They don't mean that much. Look them up in the dictionary. They matter. They have meaning behind them. You can dull the meaning and make them and justify them and marginalize them all you want to. That's what our culture does. But the truth is they have meaning. And they carry a lot of weight and they're serious. The third thing I want to say is this, is that our tongue shows the condition of our heart. Our tongue shows the condition of our heart. Verses 11 and 12. It says this, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same string, spring? It's kind of this, like, this, this understanding that the answer is no. My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can salt springs produce fresh water. What is he saying? This is what he's saying. Hey, don't say, hey, I'm a Christian and I love Jesus. But what's flowing out of you has no reflection of who Jesus is. That's what he's saying. I love what Luke chapter 6 verse 45 says this. He says this, a good man brings the good things out of the good stored up in his heart. Listen to this. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. Then notice how he closes the scripture here. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. What you say is a reflection 
of the condition of your heart. It is the evidence of what's going on under the surface in your life. I'm not saying this to condemn you. I'm not saying this telling you you're a bad person. I'm saying this to say, hey, listen, let's have a conversation about this. Let's grow in this. Let's figure out how we can, we can get, get God to work in this area of our life so that this doesn't become a cancer in our life and take us out in our future. Because it can. It very well can. Our mouth speaks things to tear up. And that comes out of our heart, our tear down, or it, it speaks things to build up. And all those things come out of our heart. This is the deal. A righteous man, this is what he's saying, a righteous man, a good man. He speaks encouragement to people. He speaks encouragement to the people around him. A righteous girl, a, a girl who loves God, man, she speaks encouragement to people. She's compassionate. Her words are loving and grace-filled. Her words bring healing to those people around you. Do you know people that when they talk to you, they just bring healing to your soul? Dude, I have those people in my life, man, and they are amazing. My wife's one of those people. Oh. But listen, when your heart is full of junk, man, it, it speaks gossip. It gossips. It's, it's, it's perverse. It's bitter. It's anger all the time. It's cursing. It's all those things. And that's what he's saying here, man. Out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. If you were to ask yourself the question, based on the content of your conversations over the last 24 hours, over the last week, over the last month, what would, what would the content of those conversations say about the condition of your heart right now? I mean, that's a hard question to ask. And truthfully, this message isn't just for you, it's for me too. We can't be fooled and think that we ever get to a place where we've got total control over our tongue and everything else. We submit that over to God every day. And that's a challenge for you. Because I can tell you, I can remember when I was in sixth grade. It was the lowest time of my life. See, I, was, I grew up really poor, but I was one of those kids that I didn't know I was poor until I got to sixth grade. And I'll never forget when I went to sixth grade, my first week of school, I'll never forget the abuse I took from the kids that were in my class. It was, it was horrible. I wore sweatpants with holes in the knees. My clothes were stained. I had never had a pair of shoes in my life that wasn't from Goodwill or Kmart. And kids made fun of me. And I'm telling you right now, it did something deep in my soul. And it took me years to recover. In fact, I would even tell you that it took me until God healed me when I was 17 years old. Year, that many years later, six to seven years later, for me to fully get over that. I'll never forget being in sixth and seventh grade, sometimes weeks at a time every day, sitting on the three steps that go out of my parents' house, the same house they live in today, sitting on those steps, saying, I don't want to live anymore if this is how life is going to be. And I thought about suicide often in those times. It was a depressing time in my life. And it was all because of people who were bullies who used their words to tear me apart. And I would ask you, students, do you use your words to tear people apart or do you use them to build up? Because you do one or the other. And girls, 
I don't want to pick on you right now, but I'm going to. <laughs> Man, when it comes to gossip, ladies, we got to chill out. Godly women, godly women don't gossip. And let me tell you why. Because in gossip, there's always falsehood. There's always falsehood in gossip. You never get the whole truth. Did you hear what so-and-so did in the, at that party with that guy this weekend? No, I didn't. What happened? Well, you wouldn't believe it. She did whatever. It's always something little. It may even be a sliver of truth, but there's always things that are added in as the rumor mill begins to go. And you know what I'm talking about. You may not be that person. You may not be that lady, but you know what I'm saying. Ladies, I hear it all the time, man. Ladies tell me all the time, girls are just so drama. Girls are just so gossiping all the time. Like they're hard to get along with. You may not be that way. I know plenty of girls that are not that way. There's plenty of girls in this room that are not that way. But you know what I'm saying. If you are that way and your tendency is that you're going to gossip, your tendency is, hey, you've got to be in a conversation about someone else, you know. Like that girl comes over, oh, your shirt is so cute. Oh, my goodness. And then she walks away and you're like, girl, can you believe that shirt she's wearing? Like a hoochie mama. Like she needs to put a shirt on over that thing. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's for free. <laughs> Solomon, the wisest man, Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, he said this in the Proverbs. He said this in Proverbs 15:4. He says, The tongue brings healing, the tongue, the tongue brings healing as a tree of life, but a seedful or hurtful tongue crushes the spirit. Man, my spirit's been crushed before because of someone else's thing, something that someone else has said to me. I love what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. In fact, this is a verse that I memorized early on in my walk with Jesus when I was struggling with the content of the conversations and the things that I would say. And it was, he says this, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful in building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Notice what he says. He's not even just talking about here like tearing people down, but he says don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Gossip can tear people down, but the truth is sometimes we let unwholesome talk come out of our mouth and we're not actually saying it or directing it at someone specifically. We're just saying it in general. So guys, pay attention. I don't mean to pick on you, but I'm going to. Pay attention, guys. It's easy for us to get caught up in conversations, in perverse conversations, telling dirty jokes, locker room chat, locker room conversations, talking about girls in degrading ways as if they are objects when truthfully they are image bearers of the true, one true God and he is their father and he will protect them. And men, that is a big responsibility that you have. And I'll tell you this right now, and hopefully I don't ever get in too much trouble for this, <laughs> But, dude, if I'm going through the mall and I hear three or four guys over there catcalling somebody, girl, what up? Yeah, baby. Oh, my goodness, girl. Man, dang. Every time I hear that, listen to me, every time I hear that, I stop whatever I'm doing and I walk over to those guys and I say, hey, do you guys think that it's appropriate and cool to be degrading women like that? Every time. I don't care who they are. You say, man, that's bold. They might beat you up. Do I look like somebody you want to mess with? Exactly. Hey, I'll take a beat down for standing up for what's right. You know what I'm saying? 
And ladies, you better not go for that. You better not go for that. I'm getting off my notes right now, but the truth is sometimes ladies will be like, oh, man, guys just treat us like meat. Guys just treat us like this. Guys just treat us like that. Listen, if you stop acting and dressing like a piece of meat, guys will stop treating you like a piece of meat. Just saying. Just saying. If you want to attract a dog, that's how you do it. Sorry. Moving on. Not really. For the guys, Proverbs 4, 24. Listen up, men. Another verse that I memorized early on in this. Men, listen to this. Keep your mouth free from perversity. Not that women don't need this. We all need this. Not that men don't need to talk about gossip. We all need it. Keep your mouth free from perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Proverbs 4, 24. So practically, what do I do with this? Listen, I want us to focus in on Ephesians 4.29. We're going to close out the service like this. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but listen, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. I think that God will do something significant in your life, that you will be able to make a difference in this world and turn it upside down if you can see your words as an agent for healing and for building others up and lifting each other up. So I'm going to give you two things that I want you to do. The first one is this. I want you tonight at some point to text, call, or have a conversation with someone who you know needs encouragement. And I want you to tell them how much you appreciate them, how much you love them, and how important they are to you. And additionally to that, not only do I want you to do that to someone but I want you to do that to one of your parents as well, if not both. Because I've found this, that it's easy for us to talk smack about our parents, and it's hard for us sometimes to humble ourselves and encourage them. And listen, your parents may not be the greatest parents in the world, and the truth is that being a parent is a hard job. But you can say this, hey, mom and dad, you know what? Sometimes I give you guys a hard time. Sometimes things aren't as smooth around the house. Sometimes I don't pick up after myself. Sometimes I act like a fool. Sometimes I, I, I get a little too amped up about the conversations that we have. But mom and dad, I want you to know that I have no idea what it means to be a parent and how difficult it is for you guys. And I want to thank you so much for the way that you provide a roof over my head, you provide food for me to eat, and the way that you guys protect me and love me. All right? Now, can you write that on the board? Can you write that? On? That's good. Can I write that down? Second thing, practical thing. Here in a few minutes, we're going to be dismissed. And, uh, and, and, and just a little secret for you. We got some Krispy Kreme donuts for everybody. Smoke! And uh, I love some Krispy Kreme. And uh, so, uh, so we're going to get some Krispy Kremes. We're going to go out and get that in a minute. So listen, tonight, while you're hanging out, talking to one another, kicking it with one another, because we're all about community. We don't want any person that comes in here to feel alone, meet somebody new. I want to encourage you tonight to listen. Hold on, hold on. I want to encourage you tonight to encourage someone in this room. Encourage someone in this room. And if you're here and you're like, you know, I don't know anybody. I don't know anybody. Then this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to someone and you say, you know what? I really like your shirt. I really like your scarf and, uh, and whatever you need to do. Now, hold on, hold on. Shh. 
The message is over. We're about to go into a closing worship song. You're going to get a few announcements that are really important tonight. But I want to tell you something real quick. This is not the message. This is something that I want to tell you. Listen. Next week is going to be off the heezy fo sheezy. You don't want to miss it. And you want to invite a bunch of people. But not only that, listen. Next week, we start back connection groups. Now, let me tell you. You hear people cheering. Let me tell you what connection groups are if you're new with us and have been new with us through the summer or you just started coming. Let me tell you what connection groups are. Connection groups are a group, are groups we break out into small groups. The idea is to make a large ministry feel small. We don't talk about the message in those groups. It's not about a Bible study and that kind of stuff. We go into these groups for 20 to 25 minutes from 8.30 till about 8.55 or so. And we hang out together in a smaller group. So it may be, and it's with people from your school. So it may be like 15 of you freshmen and sophomore guys from Mountain View High School. And you may go get together. And, and what we do is we let those groups have freedom on what they do. We want it to be fun. We want it to be enjoyable. We want the last thing that you do when you leave here tonight to be like, you know what? I hung out with some cool people. I loved it. I can't wait to see those people again. Because the truth is, we don't just come here for Jesus. He is the main reason. But God has created us for community, and we need relationships with one another. And so that's why we do that as well. So connection groups kick off next week. So you need to be prepared. You won't be leaving here until 9 o'clock, which is when we end every week. Our service goes from 7 to 9. Now, I know that some of you like to stick around here until like 10, 10, 15 and talk and hang out. We love that. That's cool. You can do that as well. Um, but just letting you guys know from 7 to 9 is that time. Uh, I love you guys. Let me pray for you. We're going to go into the last song and close out tonight. God, I thank you so much, Lord, for these students. God, I know, I know that this is not an easy conversation to have because this speaks to something that every person in this room deals with, no matter how young or how old. The content of our conversations matter. 